Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on the South Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and my host this week, as usual, is Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. Uh, this week, we're talking about, uh, well, pretty much the same stuff we talk about every week, which is what stuff that is going on in the world. Important stuff, stuff you need to know about. Um, so this week, this past week, uh, there's a lot of stuff happening. Uh, in fact, uh, it seems to me that there's a lot of meetings happening. High-level meetings of people talking about things, important things. Uh, depending on your perspective, important things. Uh, certainly from our perspective, some of them are important, some of them weren't so important. But Neil, you have a list of uh, meetings that were uh, are going on right now, even right, as well, we speak. There are a cluster of high-level events. Obviously, there's G7 or 6, G formerly known as the G8. G6 plus 1. Sometimes the G20 or whatever. G6 G7, plus Trump. G6 plus Trump in Canada. Okay, that's happening. Uh, right. Still ongoing right now. At the same time, same weekend in China, Qingdao. I think in Eastern China, um, the SEO is meeting. That's the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Right. That can't be a coincidence. They're nope. scheduled on the same. Yeah. However, nothing too unremarkable about this. Every year, they're annual events. They right. are. They're forecast. They're not forecast. They're um, scheduled well in advance. So what? The thing is, they're happening at the same time, and there's all this other stuff happening also, roughly at the same time. So you've got the usual rounds of meetings. Um. But then you've got people running all over the place, like world leaders meeting outside of these usual formats. And it seems to be like every day, either Putin is somewhere else or someone's seeing him just in the last week, okay? Um, we've had Netanyahu do a tour of at least three capitals in Europe. I can think of London, Paris. I think he went to Berlin as well. Germany, yeah. Prior to them shipping out to Quebec for the G7. Right. Netanyahu's just back, says it was very successful. Yeah. Well, what, always is. God, yeah, you'll always say that, wouldn't you? Um, at the same time, I think also ongoing right now, at the same time as SEO in the East, mm. G7 in the West, is the Bilderberg meeting, mm. which doesn't Con happen, but does. It's now an open secret. <laughs> the Bilderbergers, uh, the they're we, the ones. I just is that, how that became like a conspiracy that's theory too. Everyone knows that. So what? Right, yeah. <laughs> in the space of four years. Anyway, Bilderberg's also this weekend, which is interesting. And then, of course, in addition, you've got all these bilateral meetings between world leaders. I mentioned that in Yahoo. We've also got Putin appears to have gone to China prior to the SEO, right. or it was there. He's there as Maybe one long extended stay. But somehow he popped up back in Russia to do his four-hour mm. annual marathon session with open questions to the whole population. Mm. We'll discuss that a bit la later as well. Um, somehow at the beginning of the week, Putin hosted the leader of Bulgaria, which produced some hilarity as well. We can discuss that too. Then he went to Austria for technically his first overseas visit or his first visit to Europe anyway since mm -hmm. um, being re-elected in March. I think there's a whole host of other yeah. things going on, but it's 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 hectic, and you get the impression that people are running hither and thither. Well, Tr Trump, of course, has just left for Singapore. I think he's arriving today. He's there already. He's already there. Uh, yeah, well, you can you don't... It's not surprising that all of this hectic running around and having meetings and stuff uh, with everybody is happening at this particular time uh, because you know as we, as we discussed in previous shows uh trump is certainly he's being accused of by by european leaders of um destroying the global order that was created by the u.s itself this was primarily macron i think has said that but other people have voiced the same thing that trump is destroying the global order that's that's not a small thing destroying the global order I mean, just if you take the words 
I, oops, I just destroyed the global order. What, what, what is there fallout from that? Is that bad for people? I don't know. But that's what they're saying is going to happen that, um, or is happening that Trump is destroying the global order built by uh, America in the first place. And really you're talking about here going back to the, after the Second World War and what came out of the Second World War, the world order that came out of the Second World War, which created the G7, which you mentioned already that's happening this weekend. Um, so no wonder they're all running around, not just in the West, trying to fight fires and figure out what the hell's going on, but also in the East, uh, Russia, China, <clears throat> and other <clears throat> Central Asian countries at the SEO. Uh, in fact, the SEO was interesting this year because the first time that India and Pakistan both were at the, the at, at that meeting. Of course, the SEO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, is a relatively new uh, operation, let's say. It's 2002. 2001 or 2002, yeah. It was basically formed uh, on... As a as a response to the the U.S. invasion of of Afghanistan, I mean, more or less, you know, implicitly uh, designed to do something or stand against uh, U.S. Um, involvement in Central Asia when they went into Afghanistan, which is Central Asia in two thousand and one. Uh, that's why that's what created the SEO. So that's its, its all legacy. the central that's its, <clears throat> that's its legacy, or that's its its raison d'etre. Let's say that's yeah. that's why it, it's there. It's to get those countries. Uh, around Afghanistan, of course, Afghanistan plays a big part in historical wars between great empires and stuff because it's right there at the kind of crossroads of east and west type thing. Um, so that's what they're on, but it's a relatively young organization and it's harder to get. I mean, really, you're trying to the SEO is trying to create something as an opposition or to stand in opposition against the G7, but the G7 is effectively, you know, the Western Empire, the American Empire, effectively. Uh, it's the meeting of those heads of state, and and of course it's an empire. It's a glo- the American empire is a global empire, uh, and they have their fingers in all sorts of pies all around the world. So it's hard for it's going to take a while, certainly, for uh, something like the SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, to unseat or to at least to 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 rise to the level where it can uh, really oppose uh, Western power, um, because it's relatively young. And also compared to the G7, and it's also uh, these countries that are trying to get themselves together. Uh, there's, you know, they're not necessarily all on the same page. Particularly India, for example. Obviously, there's an India-Pakistan problem, uh, historic problem between India and Pakistan. But India also is historically very much has looked towards the West. You know, so to get all of those countries together, to, I mean, Russia and China are very much on board in terms of, you know, let's work it out ourselves. Let's let's establish something new. But getting other countries to to, to come, come on board with that is uh, it's going to take some time simply because you have to extricate them effectively from the Western sphere of influence. That doesn't happen overnight, you know, but it's being helped by Trump uh, because he's destroying the global order. <laughs> he's destro- destroying the global uh, uh, order uh, that was built up after the Second World War. So, um, At the same time, though, there there's a waiting list to get into the SEO. Right. Iran wants in. Right. It's not being allowed in. Well, Iran's there. Ostensibly observer. because there are still UN sanctions in place against right. Iran. Well, Iran... The SEO says we must follow international law. Yeah, but not so much anymore, right? Well, well that's follow international line. law in the sense of follow on with these Iran sanctions, but that doesn't well, look like it's going to happen. Their own club rules were that anyone who's under UN sanctions cannot be let in. Right, but the, 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 these aren't uh, UN sanctions, right? Particularly in terms of Iran. These are U.S. imposed, unilaterally imposed sanctions on the rest of the world against Iran. There's but, no but there's UN. a U.N. agreement in place. Is where, there? Oh, yes. They're, they're all signatories to it. That, that's what the Iran deal is. China and Russia are 
is it not a, a UN backed? The Iran deal was, yes. but Trump has backed out of it and destroyed the Iran deal. And he's now telling everybody. I mean, the Iran deal was a UN backed agreement that said all of these countries, uh, pretty much every country in the world, can now do business with Iran. And that was given the green light. Now Trump is turning around and effectively saying, no, you can't. No more business with Iran. So he's going against a UN mandate, effectively, a UN uh, uh, agreement by, by forcing all of these. And he's, I mean, he hasn't gone to the UN to get to change that agreement. He's simply imposing it unilaterally and doing it under threat of severe economic punishment to any country that doesn't back it. And that's why European countries can say, well, we're not, you know, we're sticking with the deal. The deal is a UN deal. So Iran was at the SEO as observer and as, as you know, with observer status, effectively. And it's possible that they may be admitted into the SEO. Um, but we'll, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, um, it's all, uh, yeah, like we said, there's a lot of uh, running around and, um, you know, flurry of activity, effectively. Um, it really was, I mean, right now this weekend, it's a kind of tale of two, tale of two meetings. Uh, the G7 and the SEO, uh, and you look at the G7, and it's uh, riven with uh, insults and uh, you know confusion and, and disagreement, effectively. Whereas the SEO doesn't—it's not that it doesn't have its disagreements, but certainly they're not calling each other names. Um, Trump didn't even want to go. No, um, I, I think he said that. Yeah, I don't want to be here. He also said in his actions. Um, yeah, he made some statements prior to the event, insulting people. He arrives there, and then he arrives late for the first meeting. Yes. That was reported. And then they said the first meeting was about gender equality. Right. Top of the agenda, right? So the world's in chaos. They're all complaining that the whole world order's been torn up by one of their members. So what's the first thing they're going to discuss when they get together? Right. Top of the agenda, gender equality. Right. That was the morning, yesterday morning. So the G7 was yesterday, Saturday, and Sunday, two days. Trump wasn't even going to be there on Sunday. He's taking off. He's in, he's in uh, Singapore now to meet with the rocket man, um, <laughs> which is a story in itself, obviously. Um, so he's there only yesterday, and half the day is spent on talking about gender equality. Uh, that's what the G7, that's, I mean, uh, I don't know what to say about that. But then, I mean, have a look. I have on the screen here uh, Trump's uh, tweet that came out just basically last night after he left the G7, uh, where he... Uh, where he's, he's slinging mud at uh, Trudeau uh, because basically after Trump left, the ones that were left, the six countries that were left, Canada, France, Germany, etc., uh, all uh, released a statement saying that they all, all had agreed uh, a communique, communique, sorry, a communique? Communique, I think. Communique, sorry. A communique, uh, that is French, communique uh, about tariffs and that they, everybody, including the US supposedly had agreed on a communique about their tariffs uh, that we all agreed on. We should all, you know, have no tariffs, free trade, and everybody would be treated well. Uh, Trump comes out, as, as you can see on the screen right now, Trump tweets immediately after that from the plane, maybe uh, on the way to Singapore, based on Justin's false statements at the news conference and the fact that Canada is charging massive tariffs to our US farmers, workers and companies. I have instructed our US reps not to endorse the community the communique as we look at tariffs on automobiles flooding the U.S. market. And second one, PM Justin Trudeau of Canada acted so meek and mild during our G7 meetings only to give a news conference after I left saying that UF tariffs were kind of insulting and we will not be pushed around. Very dishonest and weak. 
our tariffs are a response to his 270% on dairy. So, uh, it's all, it's weird, isn't it? It's all smiles and the handshakes and those photo ops and they line up for the group photos. Hi, everyone. They wave, they wave at the world and say, we are the world. And you're looking at it going, hang on, it's Trump, Trudeau, Macron, two, two unelected EU officials, right. May, who's on the way out of a Brexit government and, uh, the Japanese leader. Okay. So right. there's some power, right? Some Eastern power. I mean, you're not the world. Anyway, they pretend they're the world and everything's fine. And then they're all shouting at each other. Right. Well, it's all Trump's fault, right? Because the rest of them are all being nice to each other. But Trump is breaking with tradition. Not only is he breaking with the, this these economic uh, relationship they've had, uh, particularly the, the US had, has had with uh, Europe and with Japan and with Canada. He's breaking with that. But he's also breaking with the decorum or, or diplomatic norms, let's say, in, where you don't uh, come out afterwards after a meeting at the G7 and then call one of the leaders uh, meek, dishonest and weak. Yeah. And, and that's not to be, I mean, you can laugh at that, but that's actually, I mean, you can say that there's no love lost between these people, like the, that, the, that they accept the fact that, you know. All's fair in well, they would, that, that Trump trade would be, wars. Trump, well, Trump, well, well, Trump would be able to say stuff like that and it's no big deal. But I think that is a big deal when Trump publicly tweets that uh, Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada is dishonest and weak because, you know, millions of uh, <laughs> millions of Canadians see that. I, I mean, it's like it's negative propaganda. It's 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 slander, if you want to call. It. I don't think it's slander, obviously, because Trudeau is dishonest and weak. He's telling the truth, basically. And I think a lot of Canadians uh, will agree with Trump that uh, Trudeau is dishonest and weak. Um, certainly weak, well, dishonest as well. But um, in terms of what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that in terms of personal relationship, some people think that it doesn't matter about personal relationships that these political leaders don't really don't really, you know, care about whether or not they like each other so much, but rather it's just about talking talking turkey, talking deals, and 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 you know the nitty gritty, the real politic of it, and, and niceties and stuff like that doesn't matter. So in, in that respect, they can be nice and smile at each other, but they all know that that they would none of them like each other really, so that there'd be no problem in then Trump calling them names, basically calling his, his counterparts names. Uh, but I think it does uh, have an influence. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it, and it has an effect on the relationship. And that's how fickle the whole thing, superficial the whole thing is, where basically, you know, you can have a souring of U.S.-Canada relationships or a worsening of, of the current souring of U.S.-Canada relationships uh, as a result of Trump calling them names, basically. That could make it worse, you know. That's how personal they take it, you know. You mentioned that millions of Canadians see that. I think... Um, Trump knows what he's doing when he's saying certain things. The one leader at the G7, he had fine words for, congratulations on your electoral victory, was the leader of Italy. Right. And that's with the T2 EU policy heads, right? Sitting there going, God, oh, don't say that. We've just managed to hold on to it. another Greek crisis prevented from emerging by controlling what that government can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. And Trump's going in there. He knows he's speaking through that greeting to that leader, through the media to people in Italy right. saying, good job. So uh, people are wondering lately, you know, is there a method to Trump's madness? We've been discussing this for a while, and we suspect there is at least some rough strategy. And it's also in, in those tweets that you show there. Uh, okay, he's insulting. Sorry, boy, Justin. And we can laugh at that. We can agree with that. We can be upset by it, whatever, wherever one stands on things. But he's saying something important inside there also. Namely, and he he gave a quote on that two hundred some plus percent tariffs that are uh, 
that have been there all along and they're effectively a subsidy for Canada and that's where he's saying it's unfair the current trade imbalance is unfair so he's smashing right through their kind of you know their protestate oh I mean, you can't just throw sanctions on us he's saying you all have unfair advantage in right. the current trade imbalance right. I just want to level the playing field a bit when it comes to America as a single entity and you guys Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking on two different planes. He's all America first. They're all like, but hang on, we have this club that's going as a that's system. Been going for 70 years. Or yeah, don't decades. rock the boat. What about U.S. as world leader? And Trump's like, I'm the U.S. leader, the world leader, yeah. whatever. Well, he still wants to be world leader in a sense, but not under these conditions, right? Yeah. So this, the, his whole, supposedly his whole plan is to reconfigure uh, this global order in such in such a way that I mean, Macron says he's destroying the global order created by the U.S. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean, certainly not from Trump's perspective, but that doesn't mean that, that America is going to lose its hegemon status. But it's certainly in response to, I think, the stuff that's been going on that we just talked about at the, in terms of the SEO and Eurasian integration, what Russia and China have been doing over the past you know, five, ten years. Uh, this this is, seen, is being seen, has been seen as a threat uh, by the U.S. And, and by Trump, by people like Trump, and they want to do something about it. Uh, and I think ultimately these people are probably concerned about, despite Macron's re- reference to you know the, the U.S.-led world order, which is basically the U.S., uh, Europe, and a few other countries. Um, he, the U.S. is is actually concerned probably ultimately about that idea of Eurasian integration, where you have Russia and China teaming up with their new Silk Road and you know establishing connections rail and road and shipping connections between all of these countries in eurasia starting from china all the way over to western europe and the us is right to be concerned about that because <clears throat> if you knit together eurasia then certainly that is uh, by far uh, the biggest landmass in the world with the, most, with the most resources and the us if it lost control of that uh, would be in serious difficulties. It definitely would lose its uh, its position as kingpin. And this is what they're concerned about. And Trump's plan seems to be to simply, I mean, they can't do anything about Russia, China. They can't destroy Russia or China militarily. Uh, so his idea is to, at least, at the very least, since the world, <clears throat> since the world order has already has begun to change with, with this move towards Eurasian integration, Trump has to ditch the old <clears throat> way that America did things in relation to the world, which was effectively open American markets to its major partners, establish beneficial trade deals for those partners, i.e. no tariffs for all of European goods going into the US. The US, uh, Europe, European companies and governments get uh, do very well of, out of it, and according to Trump, America doesn't. Well, America, America made that sacrifice or made that concession in a certain sense for the large gain it had in being able to uh, control a lot of the world you know that's that's how america became an empire effectively by by uh, offering itself offering its protection its resources its population to the world and then in return it gets access to those countries to their to their their natural resources and also gets to control them effectively so a lot of it's about control like effectively control and it's dollar yeah and it's dollar backed by the faith right. and credit of the u.s dollar right with the military much. behind that right and that's a big right. benefit, obviously, when everybody wants American dollars, right? That was a big benefit. And also, America got to have an empire out of it. So for Trump to turn around now and say, cry so much about terrible trade deals and we're being screwed, basically, by all these partners of, us, of ours who are selling all their stuff to us and they won't buy anything from us, it's terrible. Like, hang on, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, America, the whole story. America got a lot out of this situation as well, you know? 
and this is why the, the these these partners effectively are, are crying because they've been living pretty high on the hog. You know, European countries have been living pretty high on the hog under this uh, trickle under this, down this hegemony. Yeah, trickle down hegemony, and um, and they don't want it change because it kind of throws the whole thing up and open and, and they're no longer safe if you know what I mean they're, it's no longer secure the global order is no, where they sit high high at the uh, uh, on the hog uh, is no longer safe for them it's like suddenly they have to stand on their own negotiate their own deals it's every man for himself type thing um, and they just don't like it you know mm-hmm. but from Trump's point of view this is the only way to go so well, the, well if we would just stick with the G7 here I'll just play a video here of Trump uh, speaking, I think just after, before he left, after he had his meeting on, uh, um, or maybe it was before, I don't know. Well, let, let's have a listen. We'll figure it out as we go along. Uh, I would say that the level of relationship is a 10. We have a great relationship. Angela, and, She's a 10. Uh, Emmanuel, and Justin, I would Emmanuel's say the 10. relationship is a 10. And I don't blame them. I blame, as I said, I blame our past leaders for allowing this to happen. There was no reason this should happen. There's no reason that we should have big trade deficits with virtually every country in the world. I'm going long beyond the G7. Yes, there, there's no reason why it should happen. There is, in fact, every reason. There is a, Trump, but he won't say it. We're going long before the G7, he said, yeah. i.e. from today. We're going back into history, basically. And, yeah. of course, there are reasons why that, that happened. Uh, as we just described, he's he's right on one plane, and he's sticking to that plane. Right, the basic trade imbalances between the U.S. as a sovereign country and other and sovereign major, countries, and pretty much every other sovereign country. But there's has. this great big unspoken elephant in the room, and it's the world system. But it's not actually objectively the world system; it's a Western system. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's actually I think a very valuable insight into what's going on here. That was articulated by the Guardian regarding the Bilderberg conference taking place right now. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch to that. I have the article here. Um, let's see if we can pull this up. So this is a just a Guardian rundown on what on what's going on at this year's. Oh, it's by Charlie Skelton. This is the guy who first you know started writing articles about it when it was becoming no longer conspiracy theory, but the and the Guardian would run kind of satirical. But quasi sincerely interested. Right. What the heck is the secret of group about? Anyway, so year on year, Charlie Skelton now has been a regular commentator on this. So he, he gives us a rundown this year. Bilderberg 2018, new tech helps oil the wheels of the global elite. So they're meeting in Turin. Uh, opening paragraph. It's the usual lineup. We've got billionaires, bank bosses. This year's lineup has four prime ministers, two deputy prime ministers, the NATO secretary general, the defense minister from Germany, the king of the Netherlands, and Henry Kissinger. He's, he's still on oh tour. He's 95, God. and he's still going to Bilderberg meetings. Um, there is a gem of a quote. Let me see if I can find it now. Besides the... What, the, is, what does Henry say at those meetings? Anyway, go ahead. I'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. There's a gem of a quote somewhere, yeah? This is, this is Charlie Skelton's Uh, snap summary of what the Bilderberg is and where it came from. Okay, the founding president of the group was Prince Bernhard, the grandfather of the current king of the Netherlands, Willem Alexander. In his inaugural speech at the first conference in 1954, 
Prince Bernhard set out the purpose of Bilderberg. Quote, because the free countries of Europe, the United States, and Canada must act as a unit. They must try to think the same way. This is a long-term process, end quote. That was the founding mission statement of Bilderberg is that this odd collection of countries on the surface that Trump is wrecking the world order that's meeting in the G7 right now in Quebec is precisely what they were trying to form as a quasi supranational unit that would become a sovereign entity in itself, but with unspoken rules about the fact that it is such. So we don't actually articulate, you know, mm -hmm. diplomatically, we shake hands. I'm the leader of this country, you're the leader of that country. But wink, wink, we're on the same team. Our intelligence agencies are working together behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And we'll pretend until the day is right. I don't know whether they were ever planning to actually become less secretive and more open about how they are. But here we are in this world, and they are openly acting as a unit, talking mm -hmm. as a unit, mm -hmm. with the same old pretensions to be about the world. We are the international community. We are the world. And who will uphold the world order? They, they use the universal language, but actually it's about a discrete uh, unit of this rough area of North America, Europe, and Japan in brackets. And they're desperately holding on to it. And they, they still meet quasi in secret, quasi in public at the same time. <laughs> but they've done pretty well. They've, 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 I mean, yeah. they've, they've gone, I mean, since then, since 1954, since after the Second World War, uh, those countries, Western Europe, America, North America, uh, and Japan, let's say, um, have done pretty well in forming that kind of a international order, like the, the one sitting at on top of the heap. Because I mean, today sixty percent of capital, of global capital, is in the US and the EU. You know what I mean? And 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 therefore those. I mean, that's one of the problems these people have is that they've accrued all of this wealth, basically sixty percent of the world in in those two geographic areas, which probably make up about I don't know, it's uh, maybe one eighth of the world population. They have sixty percent of uh, the capital, and they need somewhere to invest it, you know? And these trade deals that are going, or the trade war, that is this brewing trade war, is a problem because these people beforehand basically invested largely. I mean, to a large extent, they invested in each other's economies, in those economies of the, of the global order. But now with, these, with this trade war brewing, uh, they are, they're going to have to find new markets uh, in which to invest those. And they're, they get, I mean, it's amazing that they're, they're kind of hoisting themselves in their own petard here because... They're going to have to invest if they're not if, if there's a breakdown in trade or some if it goes as far as we we think it may go uh, with Trump and his trade war and his souring of relationships between his traditional partners, where is Europe going to invest its capital uh, going forward if it gets cut out to, to whatever extent out of America? Well, it's going to have to look east, and there's loads of I mean Iran. That's why they want. That's why they want. Uh, the Europeans want to stay in the Iran deal because they want to invest their capital into Iran because they can get a lot of returns from it, and further east and lots of other countries in Central Asia and, and, and further east into Asia, I mean, that's where they, they should be investing their capital. But the problem is once you invest your capital into those other countries, you kind of build them up, they become your partners, and then the whole exclusive world order starts to fall apart anyway. you know. And I think this is what Trump has saw or saw coming down the road. And he said, I'm going to change this up before this comes on top of me and basically you know, uh, casts America aside or certainly drops it down a few pegs from the top. He was going to try and uh, renegotiate everything 
uh, getting ahead of of that coming of that happening of that uh, situation happening to America and, and try and get the best out of it before it actually happens. So um, it's it's weird. The whole thing's just effectively the whole thing is kind of opening up, you know, in a certain sense that the whole global order and the world itself is is opening up like the trade deals that they established the lockdown previously lockdown uh, world order is opening up and other countries then are also at the same time obviously opening up for business for trade china has been opening up over the past 10 or 20 years russia has been iran is trying to you know they're all opening up to 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 the world and what, what does america do when it's like but hang on a minute there was a world order where we ruled with our few lackeys and everybody else just had to, you know, eat the scraps or yep. say thank you. And uh, how do we make the transition from that to some new, what is this going to be like, you know? That's 60% of world capital sloshing around in banks in the, in the West, yeah. in the US primarily, but not only. In mean, Switzerland, Luxembourg, yeah, you know, you, yeah. name it. Um, would ordinarily, right, following market behavior, find a way for it to multiply itself, because right. that's what they do. Let's just say it's greed, and greed mm. would naturally follow rules. It would naturally find its way into projects earmarked to lift, like, what, half of the world's population in Asia up and develop them. Well, it the, wouldn't be the, done explicitly end, for that. It would be done for making a profit, but you couldn't avoid lifting people up in, right. after investing in their countries. And that's, but ideologically, you don't do that, because then... It's a catch twenty two. I mean, I don't want to encourage that country to. I don't want to empower that country with my with my capital, with my wealth, uh, because then they may rise up to be in a position because, to challenge me. But at the same time, I do want to do it because I want to make some money. Why? Because, and it's set out in that founding statement of the Bilderberg Group, they must try to think the same way. They hedge the best. They're not going to do it until they're sure that at least the elites of that country. Think right, right. Think and the it's not there. articulated as to what exactly that means. But we have a lot of clues if you look at the standoff between Russia and the West mm -hmm. in the last few years. Mm -hmm. It's it, the problem it's isn't the Russia's communist; it's capitalist. It says all the right things. It's democratic. You know, international observers agree. It's totally it's not it can't be liberal enough. That's it's right, problem. but Putin is actually an extreme liberal relative to what well, else is on is, offer. But is Russia. that a question? Is that is that is is the question or is is that a question we should be asking, which is the problem with the thinking of these other countries like Russia from the perspective of Western power brokers is that they're not on the neoliberal. Right. Neo -lib ideologically, they're not neoliberal. And that includes, that's everything. That's your worldview. And that's from the top, from high politics right down to the way societies function. And is that why the G7 were having a gender uh, a di what is it? What was it? Diversity, gender equality was the gender, top of the agenda. Was that? Is that why? And is Absolutely. that what? Is that what the the East and these other countries that are being demonized by <clears throat> by the West and by America? Is that what they aren't signed on to? The ideas like yes, gender equality, diversity, uh, you know, melting pot kind of thing. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, Russia is accused of being too conservative, too orthodox. I mean. And Trump, but here's the problem. And this is, is this another reason that Trump has parted ways, apart from finances, parted ways to some extent with his European partners, is because Trump is a conservative. It's, and I mean, here's here's one example. I mean, it's not it's just, not just a throwaway comment. His his recently appointed 
ambassador to Germany got in hot water about a month ago because he publicly said that he had been in contact, once he arrived in Germany, he had been in contact with uh, kind of conservative and right-wing parties around Europe, and he absolutely was interested in helping them and, and empowering them. And that's like, hang on a minute, the, those parties you're talking, from the EU perspective, those parties you are talking about, most of them are, are, are Eurosceptic. They don't want to be part of the EU anymore. They want to destroy the EU. So your ambassador, Trump, is actually aiding and abetting these parties? Are you doing that on purpose? Mm-hmm. Is, and is that for ideological reasons because you're conservative and, and you, you don't like the EU and its liberal values, its diversity values? Or is it also financial in the sense that Trump sees that if the EU, EU project was to collapse, he would have a far better um, chance of striking good trade deals mm-hmm. with individual countries? Because when, you can, when I can deal with just the German government, just the French government, and I can even play them off against each other, can I get a far better deal than if I have to deal with this EU bureaucracy that kind of like is this web that you can't even penetrate and it's hard to do, you know what I mean? They're, and, and certainly the EU seems to be leftist, let's say. It's, it's very far kind of, uh, it's, it's certainly more leftist than it is conservative, right? Because the, the EU craps its pants at every conservative party that rises up in any European country. Yeah. And that just, just happened in Italy, you know? Yeah. And they're rising up in Germany. Obviously you've got uh, Brexit in the UK. Um, gender equality is top of the agenda of the G7 even though that's not what's really top of their agenda they, they want that to be publicly seen to be top of the agenda right because it's, it's some calling card to what they think most people care about that anyway so that's the postmodernist. let's right, call it leftist for argument's let's call sake postmodern. postmodernist ideology something it's hard to define the worldview. guess what was top of the agenda at Bilderberg. Uh, they had a ton of people research. Other kin. Practically. They have tons of experts from the fields of biotech, robotics, stem cell research, and human machine biointegration. Right. What's, that? What's the term for that? Um, transhumanism. transhumanism yeah. that, well, the, that's... The, the post-human future. These right. freaks are still on about that. I mean, their world order is falling apart, and the Bilderbergers are getting together and going, oh, Jesus Christ, how, we have to push this right, how, right now. How can we upload our brains into a machine? Yeah. How can we, how can, how can how can we, we make could... sure Henry Kissinger lives forever? Right, exactly. Yeah. That's like top of the agenda Maybe Bilderberg. Maybe that's why he was there. Maybe he was having a brain transplant. Maybe, was, maybe tomorrow... They're going to roll out a robotic Henry Kissinger with a real Henry Kissinger brain in it. They had Facebook execs, Google execs, uh, Twitter execs, not the actual Zuckerberg, but he sent like his number right hand man or something. They had the guy give a speech, says Charlie Skelton at, at The Guardian, um, the head of Google's quantum AI lab, right. um, the founder of LinkedIn. It's all this smart tech, which, you know, right. yeah, is useful, but a lot of it's BS. But let's just make that link between that transhumanism business and the idea of smart tech, you know, you know, a, a glorious utopian uh, robotic te- technological future. robotic future where humanity just, you know, everything is done for everybody. And we live in some kind of utopia where there's no suffering, nobody's hungry. Uh, and you just and, sit there and, and have orgasms all day. Right. right. And that's very and that's very much a, a leftist ideal because wiping out suffering wiping out suffering and putting effectively putting in to that to that extent putting 
human beings are positing that human beings can take the place of God in a certain sense, that human beings have reached the point uh, where history is over, where, where human beings just being a victim of history or, or a, a pawn in history is over. We now create the future and the future is going to be how we design it. Therefore, effectively, we are kind of like God. We will recreate the world in our own, not in our own image, but in the image of what we can imagine it, it, it should and could be, you know, which is, like you just said, wipes out suffering. Uh, nobody criticizes or discriminates against anybody. Nobody says a bad word to anybody. And and that's 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 the kind of neoliberal leftist kind of, and it, it's hard to pin it down as to who holds to that idea, but you can, I mean, I wouldn't want to go out and accuse people of of saying that you have you you subscribe to this ideology, but certainly you can see that it exists amongst the the establishment in in Western countries in the U.S. and in Western Europe, and it's and it uh, does not like the attitudes of the ideology that you see coming from Russia, which tends to be more traditionalist and uh, the East more broadly, and and the East certainly into China as well. That it's more a traditionalist uh, perspective on. On the world and the stands, human nature, India, Iran, right. Turkey, they're all like that. Right. They're not going with you on your post humanist future. Right. They kind of know that, but they won't ever articulate it in this but way. The, but they say, oh, Jesus, Eurasian integration, how do we block it? Maybe Brzezinski will say it in his book. Right. But then the only thing we have to piece together how they're going to respond to it are, are the actions of what's on their agenda at things like Bilderberg. Right. And, and but the, it's jarring things... as you try and understand. But the, I don't see any way that those two worldviews can ever be compatible. No, it's two realities. It's they're mutually incompatible. Um, I, I don't see a meeting of minds. I mean, they really are fundamental, and it's fundamental, you know. And we talked about this before with uh, with uh, Jonathan uh, Heights book about uh, kind of the moral taste buds and the different, just depending on the kind of person you were born, basically whether you have a more uh, a tendency to be more conservative in your outlook or, or more uh, progressive, let's say, in your outlook, you know. Um, speaking so of, that, that's how fundamental it is, you know. Uh, speaking of the meeting of minds, um, the, the British director of DeepMind, which is some AI program that Snowden mm, leaked exposed. about, exposed, and it's now openly discussed. Uh, I think it's officially set up as a company based in London. He was there as well, giving his speech about AI in the future and it, deep mind, I, it rings a bell. I think in the Snowden, it was, it was in the Snowden leaks, it was scary because deep mind was going to be an AI system that would automatically respond to perceived cyber attacks by like obliterating a country's right. major critical IT infrastructure mm -hmm. and what causing a blackout, mm -hmm. you know, like that. I mean, they're, they're going, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. they, th they think in their freaked out their freaky minds they think they're going to the stars mm -hmm. they're like oh no, no the whole world is going to anarchy and chaos and going back to tradition of and you know medieval and blah 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 so what we'll do is we'll make a leap for the stars mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> they're and, such and freaks and, and they explode. really believe it uh yeah and blow up on the way there um <laughs> can i show something quickly um just on our seo g7 comparison i'm, I'm, I'm having a look here um, and a map of the membership of the SEO. It's the world map, and look at it. It's it's Russia, China, India, and Pakistan are now this year fully fledged members. So you've got both Modi and the Pakistani PM going to this meeting. 
carry on around Eurasia, you've got Iran, which once in, it's still technically not, but it's there as an observer, as Joe mentioned. Turkey is in dialogue. Now, Turkey's on the fence, but you can see how every major capital, looking at that world map, from Moscow, Beijing, uh, New Delhi, Pakistan, Iran now, once Turkey is in that grouping, you have a closed circle. That is the entire Eurasian landmass. This is Brzezinski's nightmare of an alliance of Eurasia. And before him, his predecessors like Halford Mackinder, who the, the, the twilight of the British Empire articulated the stratagem very precisely. He said, he who controls the heartland controls the world. The right. heartland is basically Russia, let's say. It was key. They lost Russia and everything toppled since. In the last 15 years, the SEO is kind of, let's say it's not so powerful, as you mentioned, Joe. It's 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 a newcomer. It's a newcomer. It remains a talking shop. It remains to be seen. Well, they're doing good happen. deals and all that kind of stuff, but it's just trying to knit together. For example, Russia and China are on the same page uh, yeah. and have been, and they're, they're fully, I mean, every every week they're, they're making new deals and, and consolidating their, their ties with each other. But pulling in <clears throat> India, Pakistan, you know, other the other kind of stands in, in, in former Soviet republics uh, and other Asian countries, you know, possibly pulling all those together as would be envisioned in the kind of one belt, one road initiative is is problematic because I said the problem is that you're trying to do that in the context of an an existing American uh, empire that has its fingers all over the place. So it's not so easy. But go ahead. You, you you were quipping that it's as if Trump is trying to break up the EU. Yeah, that well, I mean, when one of his ambassadors to Germany, when his ambassador to Germany, basically feels he's well, feels confident. I mean, of course, maybe he's brash like Trump uh, and doesn't give a damn. So, uh, but when he makes that statement about contacting uh, conservative groups and parties, political parties in Europe, and and empowering them, it's like. Uh, he's not. I don't think he's saying that in isolation. He's at the very least he's just repeating Trump's uh, the Trump um, agenda effectively. Maybe Trump didn't tell him to do that or, or didn't send him there with that agenda. But he himself, that's the way he's leaning, and he was appointed by Trump. Therefore, it's reasonable to suggest that he's right. You know, he's Trump's on the same page as him basically. Right, right. Whether or not he's actually planning some, you know, devious. Kind of, or has some devious plan to destroy the EU is another question. Yeah. Um, but one way to do it would be to covertly empower right-wing parties in, in European countries. Definitely. I mean, you, if you can, and, and the population's propaganda, if you can swing that, I mean, that will be the end of the EU because those parties are all Eurosceptic, you know, and they will, in a heartbeat, they'll just go back to, like, like the Brits seem to want to do. The Brits are, well, they're having a hard time, right? It's not so easy, apparently. But, in a heartbeat, the Brits turned around and said, okay, bye-bye, you, we're gone. It's going on five years now, since early 2013, when I think it was the first U.S. intelligence report leaked via the British Telegraph, that says a lot, um, came up with this first primary accusation that the Kremlin is behind a plot to break up the European Union into little pieces so that it can be aligned with the rising conservative populist movements in each countries, mm. in each countries, and here we are, and it's it's happening. Correct, their instinct was spot on, but it's happened in a way that's like totally unexpected. 
but you can imagine it'll confirm for them in their beliefs because the facts on the ground Russia, are right? so. Therefore, it's Russia's fault. Trump and, um, Trump and Russia working together, right? To break up Europe. It's not just Russia now, it's Trump and Russia well, working together. Well, as I mentioned, somehow Putin last week sandwiched in his, his annual four-hour or something marathon question and answer session, which is just an extraordinary event. I mean, there's nothing like it in the West. And, and they poo-poo it and they say it's, uh, oh, yeah, it's the Kremlin propaganda. And it's obviously putting that on to make it look like he's democratic. No, you dipshit. It is democratic. You don't have anything like it because you're incapable. You could not pull that off. Anyway... Putin is asked at one point um, about this European stampede away from, uh, uh, or rather, the, the apparent American stampede away from Europe. You know, the whole transatlantic rift. Um, he gave he gave a long answer about it. Anyway, it comes back later, and someone asked him to, does he know any good jokes? Because there were a lot of humorous things, and he couldn't come up with anything on the spot. But uh, Author Dmitry Orlov said he watched the whole thing, and he said there was a one point where uh, he couldn't come up with a joke on the spot. But Putin later said, while discussing Europe and the U.S. and trade wars, "Yes, yeah, so um, it would appear that we helped Trump to win, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in gratitude, he gave us Europe." Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. I mean, you can imagine if they heard that, they go, <gasps> "Oh my God, it's confirmation! True. He said it! You know, he's just confessed." Although just they're completely devout that he was making a joke, jerking their chains, you know. But I mean, Putin can just run with this, like, and troll them up one side and down the other. Yeah. Um, he can now openly say what he thinks more and more, and he's been doing that all week long, all year long, really. At this point, mm-hmm. every day there's something new where he just spits it out, because it is all now out in the open. Um, there were a number of things that he said in far more cautious ways 10 years ago, five years ago, and he's able now to go and say, I told you this was going to happen. Right. Um, let's, uh, there's one more little video here. I want to just play from the, it's a G7. I'll give you another insight into, into what's been going on, um, over there. I'm just going to jump forward here and find the right, uh, find the right spot. Donald Trump arrived. Okay, there we are part of it. Vladimir Putin should have a seat at the table in the group of seven. Russia should be in this meeting. Why are we having a meeting without Russia being in the meeting? And I would recommend, and it's up to them, but Russia should be in the meeting. It should be a part of it. You know, whether you like it or not, and it may not be politically correct, but we have a world to run. And in the G7, which used to be the G8, they threw Russia out. They should let Russia come back in. Russia should come back in because Russia should come back in. But why, uh, President Trump, why should Russia be back in? Well, Russia was thrown out and they should be back in. And the fact that Russia is not in, uh, in my opinion, means that they should be in. All right, so why should they be in? Uh, Didn't I just answer that? (laughs) No. Um, But you see where he doesn't get the ideological message it probably has been spelled out to him by Juncker or someone else at the imf or something you know donald the reason why is because and then he explains the background of creating this acting like a unit but Mm -hmm. still trump throws out these uh, on the face of them logical points you know russia should be here if it's a powerful economy it should be in we should be having this discussion about working out solutions to problems we're all sharing yada yada Mm -hmm. He's throwing another span on the works of the ideological basis for things like the G7. Right. 
And that's that's kind of genius. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not I don't know if he's doing it on purpose though. Well, Putin gave a response to that. He was asked uh had a press conference already yesterday at the first mm -hmm. day of SCO. Do you want to hear his response? Putin's to, to why Russia's not in the G seven. Well, he said we never left, right? We never left. Do you have it? Yes. Go ahead. Here we go. Concerning the return of Russia to the G8, we never left it. Our colleagues at the time refused to come to Russia for the known reasons, but we still welcome them and everyone in Moscow. Concerning the comparison of the G7 and the SCO, the purchasing parity of SCO countries is bigger. Yes, G7 countries are richer, but the scale of the economy is bigger in the SCO countries. Right. Yeah, and that goes back to what I was saying about capital. The G7 countries are, are richer. They have 60% of the world's capital. But SEO countries further east have much more, have much bigger economies, much bigger, they're bigger countries in there. I mean, that, and, and naturally, if you leave ideology aside, that's a perfect, perfect match, right? Got all this capital from uh, the US and Europe going into countries that are opening up and have lots of uh, development potential. But no, because we don't think the same. Yeah, uh, let's just jump ahead with uh, Trump here. Uh, or actually, there's something after this part uh, on this the video we just played of Trump saying why why Russia should be back in the G7. Um, there's a little analysis on. I think it goes back to something you were saying earlier on. Let's have a watch. Because we should have Russia at the negotiating table. Other G7 leaders disagreed, including British Prime Minister Theresa May, telling reporters, "Quote." Let's remember why the G8 became the G7. And before discussions could begin on any of this, we would have to ensure Russia is amending its ways and taking a different route. Some within the president. Amending its ways and taking a different route. That again speaks to, I mean, it's not about, because people need to dismiss the, all the bullshit you get from the, the mainstream uh, media about why Russia is evil. Russia did this. I mean, they're setting, up, setting Russia up in various different scenarios to, then, to demonize them. But that's not the reason because, I mean, look at it this way. If I set you up, if I make it look like you committed some heinous crime that you didn't, and then I say, you're a bad person, Neil, because you committed that heinous crime. I'm not, I don't really, I'm not, I don't have that. Uh, my problem isn't that, uh, that you committed that crime because I know you didn't commit it. I made it look like you did it, right? I, my, my problem is something else that you're doing, some other uh something else about you or some other perspective or attitude or something you're doing. That's my problem that I'm not talking about. And I have to create the scenario because I don't want to talk about it or I can't talk about it. I have to create some other straw man or, or uh, set up basically to demonize you, to put you back in your place. And I think that's what's happening. That's what people can understand is happening with, with Russia. When you have this Skripal case and MH17 and uh, annexing Crimea and stuff. They don't give a damn. They know very well that Crimea wasn't annexed and it was 90% 90, 90 of the population of Crimea voted to join the Russian Federation. Uh, so that's, they're not that stupid. And those aren't the real reasons, obviously. So what are the other reasons? Well, you know, uh, Russia has to amend its ways. What ways? What is Russia doing? All Russia wants to do is business. Why do you have a problem with Russia doing business with Europe or with America or with anybody? What, that's very much in, in, in keeping with, with the West's kind of like capitalist, <clears throat> you know, outlook in, in terms of trade and what's their problem? There's some other problem all along that has been going on since you ever, the first time you heard that Russia was evil back, you know, I don't know how many years ago now, five or six years ago, um, 
and, and the continuous stream of Russia's evil since then, all of that has been bullshit. All of it has been for some other reason. Russia is a is a problem to the people who are accusing Russia or Russia of being evil for some other reason than 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 what they say. And, and it's because Russia does not share this glorious vision they have of the future of humanity, of what, right. of what human nature is. It, it must be fundamental. They must have this weird, different view of human nature, right. what it's capable of, yeah. and where it's going. And they were born with it, and that's what we're saying. It's, it's that kind of thing. There's no meeting of minds possible in that respect, you know? Let's just jump ahead here on this video. I'll just finish it off. And Macron and Sorry. Yeah, let's just... Um, I think it's right here. Let's watch. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Trump touted his ability to strike a deal. It's what I do. It won't even be hard. And in the end, we'll all get along. But they understand, and you know, they're trying to act like, well, we fought with you in the wars. We, they don't mention the fact that they have trade barriers against our farmers. They don't mention the fact that they're charging almost 300% tariffs. When it all straightens out, we'll all be in love again. And it all straight up, we'll all be in love again. Interesting point there. Where Trump is going to win in 2020. He may well do. He, the Americans, I mean, most Americans are going to love that. But when he let he let slip there, they, they're trying to say, like, oh, we fought with you in the wars. The ideological basis for our unity. Right. That's what he's getting from Macron and Merkel and European leaders. And saying, why you want to do these this trade war with us? We fought with you in wars. And I don't think they're talking about necessarily a secular war. They're talking about Libya, Syria. Iraq, you know, recent, and, and that, ah. that's what he's talking about, that we supported you. Quid pro quo, not just fought you, you, you owe us. Right, you should, we supported you when you invaded Iraq, we supported you when you, when you we, we actually, you know, launched the war, uh, the invasion of, of Libya. We supported you, didn't say a word about what you've been doing in, in, in Syria. That's uh, pretty, it's pretty slimy, like. I mean, when you know what really happened behind what was really going on with those wars, you know, that they were, and the reasons that were given for them, you know. Um, yeah. I, I have a detailed response Putin gave at his Q&A to um, what's happening to Europe and their surprise at Trump's so-called tariffs. And he, he basically points out what we've been saying that these are sanctions. Europe is getting right. sanctioned up the wazoo. Right. Well, <laughs> he said, we need to stop calling them It's sanctions, you see? And he said, and I don't know if we should play it. It's four minutes. Um, we don't get to hear a translation. But right. We have English subs on it, though. Right. Um, do we want to play that? Well. We can't really chime no. in on it then. But the basic answer was, a, it was an answer he's given before, but it, it amounted to, and he said at the end of it, you know, you basically brought this on yourselves. He said, I warned you about this in that Here's Munich speech in 2007. Multipolarity. The specific thing he said was that the, the danger of one country extending its national jurisdiction internationally is that everyone will suffer eventually. It was such a Caesar-like speech because Caesar is famous for giving speeches where he's, he's said, I disagree with this decision on principle not because I disagree that the benefits to us right now aren't good, all of us at this table. The problem I have with this is that in principle, it, the principle will be set and you can see how in future it'll work against you. Mm -hmm. So once they were all sort of cemented in the unipolar world in, in a kind of an overt one post 9-11, right. 
you were always going to have some crisis like this where you'd be left you know without a chair when the music stopped right and he basically said yeah i warned you and and here you are and you've got you know a trade war it's a trade war he says forget that it's tariffs and it's a dispute you know and it's all smiles it's full-on sanctions right like you were saying earlier that you know Iran deal, let's forget calling it the Iran deal. This is the screw Europe deal. Right, yeah, <laughs> screw Europe. Yeah, it's sanctions against Europe. But originally, uh, the Iran deal, again, was, you talk about nukes and all that kind of stuff, you know, it was to, to stop uh, Iran getting nukes and stuff, but it wasn't. It was an attempted uh, trade deal. The Iran deal was originally, in 2015, was an attempted, was a trade deal. Uh, an attempted trade deal, I suppose, because the US didn't sign on to it, but allowed other countries to basically engage fully you know almost fully uh, in trade with iran which they hadn't been allowed to previously um and and that was signed by obama and kind of again to, to trump's credit saying that it was a terrible deal signed by obama yeah it was a terrible deal because no no u.s companies got access to iran as a result of the iran deal european countries did and that's that's in keeping with his beef his major complaint which is that we keep america keeps giving all the goodies economic goodies to its partners and we get nothing and in response uh or in, in return for giving the goodies to our partners we get to what just stay in control of them you know have them as as lackeys to one extent or another you know have them as subservient to us and that's good enough it's a power game you know for for, for obama and for previous american administrations other their, their perspective on the world was that you had to control the world you know and of course to control the world to keep it ideologically sound if you know what i mean from their perspective keep it in the same ideological sphere uh, you had to invest money you had to buy these countries effectively you couldn't just force them in america as much as it might have wanted to at certain points it couldn't go around the world beating heads of every all other you know seven six seven billion people it had to buy their allegiance you know and it did that through trade and what it was getting in return was kind of you're mine i own you now you know um and trump just comes along like we've been saying as a businessman and says that's ridiculous trump wants know? to know where's the money right and more broadly still okay you can't get any broader than the money but he's a politician He's not a politician, but he's a very good one in, in a sense because he's talking to the American people as voters, right? Show me the money and how it's going to benefit people right. in this country. He, they can't show him that with the Iran deal, but the uns, part of the unspoken backlog of assumptions and reasons that are all understood behind closed doors is that those European countries are pocketing, okay? European manufacturers and therefore European workers are winning, okay? What America gets, it's it's kind of unspoken, but it's they have a say in all of it. Because all of those major European countries, we now know the countries and companies and specific leaders like Merkel are all being watched under the watchful eye of the NSA. Right. They've got all the data on all of them. The internet all routes through the United States. But that was that was part of the deal, right? Black that was part of the deal. That was part of the, it, it, it was, was part of, implicitly to, understood, which is why America. the Europeans cover it up. Right. Any revelations that this right. was the case? Right, because in terms of opening America up, offering America and its its uh, its population and its uh, its markets to its partners, quote unquote partners, let's say lackeys, uh, in return, 
America got access to those countries and not just the resources uh, and whatever else. You know, they didn't really get access to resources in the same way they were giving access to American resources, American uh, markets, because, you know, that's Trump's complaint is that a lot of it, America now has a surplus, a trade surplus, where we're basically everybody's selling stuff to America and America's not selling stuff enough stuff to, to, the, to the, the same people. Um, but what America got in response to opening itself up in that way was to get access to the inner workings of the country. It's control. It, that, that's the only thing I can understand. I can, I can, ex, only way I can explain it is that they wanted to control those countries and they got access to the intelligence agencies. There's all sorts of deals made between intelligences. You share your stuff with us. And of course, America was in the position of we're big brother. We'll take care of it. So you give us all the information and we'll keep you safe, basically. Yeah. So you get to suckle at the American teeth. Right. Let's say, and we will keep you safe, like any, you know, mother pig. So it does, right? It protects its its piglets, right? But they're entirely dependent on the mother for their for their food, and and these little piggies, these little EU piggies, have been right now. It's happening. They're being unceremoniously ripped off the off the teeth and taught and told to go and uh, you know get your own food, basically. And and uh, they're they're acting a bit like lefty anarchist SJWs when they're going no, no you owe me. Yeah, you owe me. Yeah, well and to some extent they're true because there was a, a, a deal was struck where you scratch my back and you scratch my leg basically or something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I, and Trump's making out like, oh it's all one-sided, we got screwed, America's being screwed by Europe. No, like we said before, yeah. America got a very good deal out of it. At least, America got a very good deal out of it if you or a person who subscribes to the idea that America is an exceptional nation, it has manifest destiny to rule the world, and therefore it should rule the world and control the world. That Amer if, you, if that's what you believe, then America got a very good deal out of these kind of trade deals where it let everybody buy its stuff, uh, or let everybody sell to it, and in return it protected the whole world, i.e. manifest destiny, it controlled the whole world. Trump comes along and he's like, that's bullshit, more or less. Mm -hmm. I mean, he still says America is an exceptional nation and stuff, blah, 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 but he doesn't have that, uh, that he doesn't subscribe to that ideology of, which is a kooky ideology, like it sounds some kind of divinely ordained, you know, from the beginning, from the Big Bang or something, America was destined to be what it is. It's, it's bullshit, like, you know, yeah. it's nonsense, it's up your own backside, you know. But um, One of the ironies here, I mean, there's contradictions all over the place, but one of them is that um, the well-behaved, right-thinking, leaders in the West are also being protectionist, but in a more ad hoc way. A specific example came up, um, we published an article about it, the, the block takeover of ACON, or ICON, um, A-E-C-O-N, it's a huge Canadian construction firm. Right. They basically built a, Canada's infrastructure over the last several decades. Its CEO complained in the last few years, we're getting zero contracts abroad, we, we're in dire straits. China comes in, China, China, and it says, we buy you, we make you great again. Mm -hmm. And they blocked it. That, and that, that wasn't a kind of, it wasn't articulate, it wasn't spoken too loudly, but still it was blocked on the grounds of national security, that there were certain core industries that they would protect against from foreign takeovers because they were key to. So it's weird, and that's happening in other spheres as well. Um, it obviously happened with Monsanto, and buyer 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 won the deal but they, they, a higher bid came from china and the market wasn't allowed to work that was blocked mm -hmm. 
and instead, okay, we'll keep it within the club, a German company, mm. nominally German, because really the vast amount of its assets and money are in the United States. So a German company can buy Monsanto, fine, right. keeps it within the club. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, no. And just to speak to the point about this problem of, of what's wrong with uh, the East, what's wrong with Russia and China in terms of the way they see things, how, how are they meant to, what is the thinking that they need to correct uh, like we've spoken about already, it's it's it has to be ideological, uh, because you could think you could say you could argue in theory you could argue well you know Western countries the U.S. and Europe and stuff are afraid of China and Russia because of their communist past and they don't want they think that if they do too much deals or if they let too much if they let those kind of countries you know infiltrate uh, into the West too much that uh, that that kind of economic. Uh, policy or the economic form of government or whatever would take over as if they're still communist. But the point is they're not. You know what I mean? It's clear, very clear that China and Russia are not, uh, from an economic perspective, they're, they're fully in line with, well, certainly with the, uh, the theory of, of, of Western capitalism, which is basically, like you just said, you let the market decide and you sell your goods and everybody gets rich and it's all good, right? That's exactly what China and Russia are doing. So they can't have any problem from that uh, kind of economic perspective, from an economic ideology perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, so it must be something else. And it so it goes it's deeper than that. It's almost a philosophical, it's a life perspective. It's a, it's a, a worldview. It's more, even more abstract than, than economics. It's, uh, it's philosophical, effectively. That, that, that's, that seems to be what their problem is at, at the core of it, you know? Um, what but, is that? Well, how, I don't know how do we can go with it, but... It's the place to look is probably in, in, in the answer probably lies somewhere in, in the, the ties that bind. So what is the basic system? So the United States gets no money from the Iran deal. What it has is all the back doors, especially in technology, the back doors, Microsoft, the internet. It's like, okay, everyone, you can think you control all these things, but the financial system, IT information, we own that. We own the proprietary rights to it. Um, you probably get another clue in the way Intel systems are now explicitly organized. It's now an institution, mm -hmm. quasi-official institution, the five eyes. Right. United States, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand. Um, that's not the whole answer, though, because then Israel and um, big international Jewish power which isn't the ultimate power, but it's very powerful. That's also heavily, so it's a kind of an Anglo, it, maybe it has its origins, certainly in, in the Anglophone worldview. It bleeds over, or it has a lot in common with what the Israelis want, but it's... Uh, taking the, the ideology, trying to explain the ideology, I mean, it's difficult, but the way we described it earlier with these people who are basically progressive, extremely progressive and liberal and see themselves as basically shaping the future, whereas you have conservatives who tend to think, you know, well, don't rock the boat so much. You're not so, you're not so big, you're not so great. Uh, and they have tend to subscribe to conservatives, tend to subscribe to some kind of religious belief or an idea mm -hmm. of transcendent, whereas for leftists, you know, certainly leftists and liberals and stuff are, are progressives, uh, the transcendent is basically within me. I am the transcendent. I am God. I, we together as a society, if we all think the right way, we can, you know, upload our brains into robots and live forever. Yeah. We're God effectively. Uh, well, that's, the difference between that is a kind of a narcissism versus a lack of narcissism. It's just a, a, on the spectrum of narcissism. Those people who think that they can 
that they're they're all that let's say that they're so powerful and uh, so competent that they can shape the future for all for the entire world and wipe out all suffering and that they they even are in a position to decide that there should be no suffering whatsoever in the world there should never be any discrimination no one should ever cry no one should ever hurt uh, the arrogance of that suggests extreme narcissism narcissism yeah. uh, so uh, if you want to draw a line there between what are or define the problem between east and west you could you could arguably and it's a bit simplistic but you could argue that it's it comes down to narcissism yeah yeah a belief in oneself there's, an there's something in oneself. fundamentally antisocial in in their worldview where they seem to fear they actually fear democracy in the most general sense of that word um openness mm -hmm. they're all i mean george soros is all about open societies stuff and opening countries up but that's kind of like it's weird that that's the surface ideology but actually that's a fundamental fear of ordinary people right and they could be ordinary masses in china but they'll also be the ordinary masses in europe the united mm -hmm. states probably also israel as well of right. all places so it's weird it's it's something something inhuman mm. something well, i don't know i don't want to say any more about that yeah. but yeah the answer probably lies in psychology and they mm. and their drivenness and their inability their inability to grok these basic things i mean it's so self-evident to us and i'm sure it is to most people um but they're so out of touch with reality and they've literally created this castle in the sky of transhumanism. Well, they think they can design. They think, they think they create reality, right? Yeah. They're, it's it's they don't mind being out of touch with reality when they posit to post postmodernists posit that everything's relative. Right. Uh, nothing. There is no truth. There, there is, is no, no objective, objective truth. Uh, therefore, we can create. We create it basically. Everything is created, and if everything is created, if everything is a social construct or a uh, a function of kind of cultural beliefs or whatever, uh, then we can. If that's if that actually uh, manifests reality. And that's what they believe effectively that everything is a social contract that it's about people's beliefs that that's what creates reality then whatever they believe uh, if they believe hard enough or if they and of course they don't stop at believing hard enough obviously they go out and you know they're they're, they're willing to punch nazis in the face and um you know scream scream and shout in universities and, and shut people down and, and stop all hate speech everywhere you know they're willing to take physical action obviously they're not so deluded that they can think they can just sit there and believe and then create the future you know but yeah, it's pretty scary, and um, but we need to uh, wrap up a little bit here. So, um, Putin built a bridge. Just before that, he hosted a Prime Minister of Bulgaria. Yes, earlier this week, who was back on his hands and knees after four years ago nixing the South Stream South deal Stream. that would have had. The Russian gas pipeline come under the Black Sea and straight into Bulgaria, which would have been a boon for Bulgaria. They need the money. They need the investment. That was nixed by America. It was nixed by John McCain, who gets on the phone to Brussels and Juncker or whoever calls the PM and he's like, backs down right away. Nixed, just gone like that. Russia lost 800 million euros. They had already, they, they, they couldn't recoup that. They had sunk that cost in to starting the project. They, they lost, Putin said this in his press conference with the Prime Minister of Bulgaria this week, Boyko. Well, we lost 800 million euros, but yeah, we're willing to reconsider. And yeah. the guys there all falling and yeah, Russia, we respect you. And what? A, well, I won't call him an idiot. I mean, he capitulated and now he's back on his hands right. and knees. But and, it's not, it's not very, uh, it's a bit embarrassing. Basically. Oh, it's, it's, just, not, it's not, it's uh, not, 
But in the meantime, Southstream became Turkstream. So now Putin says, yeah, okay, well, we need to discuss this with Turkey. Right. We can't just give you what you want anymore. Right. So it's going like... down to Turkey, and then maybe there'll be a terminal in off of that into Bulgaria. But you'll need to talk to Turkey first, and they'll get first dibs such idiots, on everything. Right? So Bulgaria will win, but the EU as a whole will lose because Bulgaria will not be a, t- a key terminal anymore. Right. Insane. Okay, also this week, Putin went to Austria. Right. Full state honors. Yeah, it means the president, then the prime minister, Kurtz, uh, Chancellor Kurtz. Um, again, phoning words for leader of Russia. Russia is a superpower. Austria has a history, though, uh, of it, it never imposed sanctions. Okay, on on Russia, it always maintained good relationships, and that may be partly or everything to do with the fact that fifty uh, percent of Russian, or sorry, Austrian gas comes from Russia. I.e., fifty percent of the Russian population are dependent on gas, at, on, are dependent on Russia to heat their homes. Uh, so that it's a small detail, like you know, it's a big detail. Uh, but that's part of the reason. But also, you know, give some credit to the Austrians; they might have, they might have more sense than the average European. Putin gave a delightful interview with an Austrian journalist that went viral. The journalist was like classic fake news stuff, where it was kind of what's her name from Channel Four, mm. you know. So what you're saying is, so what you're saying is, so he he just fired back and he totally controlled that interview. I thought he by basically holding up a mirror to every accusation and saying, okay, if that's the accusation, then what about this situation where you know the mm-hmm. EU did exactly the same thing? But in one instance, his answer was it was just fantastic, and you can imagine how this plays, especially to neighboring Hungary in its war with George Soros. So I'm going to play it here. Um, the lead, the question that led into this answer from Putin was, so what about this troll farm in St. Petersburg? You remember, right, where U.S. intelligence and then the media just basically shortened that to some BS narrative of, about Putin's chef mm-hmm. rigging our elections. Right. You know, ridiculous story. So Putin mocked it, but then he fired back with a real example of global election meddling. Mm-hmm. Listen carefully, especially towards the end of the short clip. You just said that Mr. Prigozhin is referred to as Putin's chef. Indeed, that is his job. He is a restaurant owner in St. Petersburg. But do you really think that a person who is in the restaurant business, even if this person has some hacking opportunities and owns a private firm in this field, could use it to sway elections in the United States or European country? Could it be that the media and political standards in Western countries have reached such a low level that a Russian restaurant owner can sway voters in a European country or the United States? Isn't that ridiculous? There is such a person in the United States, Mr. Soros, who interferes in affairs all over the world. I often hear from my American friends that America as a state has nothing to do with his activities. There are rumors circulating now that Mr. Soros is planning to make the euro highly volatile. Experts are already discussing this. Ask the State Department why he is doing this. The State Department will say that it has nothing to do with these activities. Rather, it is Mr. Soros' private affair. With us, it is Mr. Prigozhin's private affair. This is my answer. Are you satisfied with it? <laughs> Dynamite. Look at the two strong hints there. One, there could be an up- upcoming attack on the euro. 
coming from the United States' direction to the absolute dynamite one, which is that, well, it basically hinted that we know that Soros does this on quasi-national grounds. Mm-hmm. His attacking of he suggested basically that the, the U.S. has done this before, and that made me think of the the 2010 eurozone crisis that led into Syriza and the Greek Brexit and all that. Right. You know, and I wondered at the time, is this an attack on Europe? Mm-hmm. Putin is basically hinting that that's the kind of thing that's going on, mm-hmm. and that it's coming from Soros, and that Soros is doing so at the behest not quite of the United States, but, but of this Western with... entity right. of the greater United you know, yeah, States. Well, the deep Soros state is definitely a, a progressive, right? He's a progressive, and so he's, he's think he's on the right independent, track. or is he? Why well, he's not? In, nobody of of his stature and his his right. means is is independent, you know. Uh, yeah. So um, the World Cup's coming up. This the World week. Cup com- coming up. Uh, Putin has said that at the at the question and answer, the four hour question and answer annual uh, event that he that he had a few days ago, he said that if anything happens in if there's any escalation in Donbass. Uh, by the Ukrainians during the World Cup as an attempt to kind of like tarnish the World Cup, um, that uh, it, there would be a th- it would be a threat to Russian or to Ukraine. He said there would be hard, he promised harsh consequences. Yeah, well, he said something specific about uh, he said specifically that there would be a, a Russian national security or something like that would be uh, not Russian. Um, Ukrainian national security would be, uh, such as it is, would be compromised. He basically made a, made a threat to to Ukraine itself, <clears throat> the entire country. I mean, you can interpret that in different ways, but basically he seemed to be saying that if that happens, uh, Ukraine would pay a serious serious price for it, i.e. they may just, Russia may just come in, and which is an option, always has been an option for them, in theory, to come in and just take over Donbass <clears throat> and, and Luhansk yeah. uh, completely, you know. Uh, and the interest of protecting them. Yeah. Well, attacks have ramped up from Kiev, um, Yuki's right in the last couple of weeks. Um, again, this week there were more attacks that are not supposed to happen, and Russia supposedly to blame for not implementing Minsk, which is BS. Is the only one that's actually holding back the war at the moment as Kiev continues right. attacks. Um, there's but also the threat of Ukrainian intelligence getting up to something. We've had a hint of it with this fake news, Babchenko stunt. It was Babchenko and. They also arrested a Russian, uh, the head of Ria Novosti, a month or two ago, and he's currently still being held in uh, in Ukraine. He's Ukrainian-Russian dual citizen, and he was arrested <clears throat> by them on the pretext that he, back in 2014, he was down there reporting and that he was in some ways being subversive, you know, <clears throat> uh, against Ukraine by reporting favorably on the, on the rebels in eastern Ukraine. But uh, the bridge that they inaugurated about a month or, month or two ago about a month ago, say, uh, the Kirk, Kirk, what, Kursk, Kursk Strait bridge basically joins uh, Crimea to mainland uh, Russia. Um, uh, is a big problem for the Yugis. They're not very, I mean, that was like lots of blood boiled. I mean, they predicted that that was never going to happen. It'll never happen. It'll be ru- corrupt Russian politicians just take all the money and then it got built ahead of schedule. Um, but obviously that's a land bridge, direct land bridge to Crimea. Um, which facilitates obviously Russian, you know, access to Crimea and to also uh, Donbass and Luhansk and the whole kind of southeastern area of of, of Ukraine, including <clears throat> areas that are uh, officially not occupied or you know are still part of Ukraine that are 
vulnerable effectively where it would be a, it could be a situation where if russia entered ukraine again if, if the ukrainians forced russia to enter ukraine uh, for whatever reason they would take wouldn't just secure the places that are already breakaway republics so they would take more um you know uh, so the ukrainians are just idiots like and they just scream and cry out to america help us do something about even russia it's just they're they're so pathetic the ukrainian politicians you know but uh <clears throat> yeah but that bridge was pretty amazing in terms of it, it was completed ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, an amazing kind of piece of uh, engineering. And it's incredibly symbolic, you know. Yeah. Building bridges. Uh, it's going to be Europe's longest bridge, technically. Let's just say that's the very edge of Europe or something right there. Right. Um, built in record time. Um, it's obviously going to have immediate benefits for Crimea, which has sort of been under an economic siege because mm-hmm. prices have been unusually high, even relative to the rest of mm-hmm. Russia. That's thanks to Kiev. Um, but yeah, like you yeah. say, there'll be ma- other strategic um, reasons, military reasons, do we reasons have a- to do with um, the breakaway republics yeah. as well. Yeah, and Mar- Russia building bridges while uh, the, Euro- the transatlantic alliance is destroying them uh, between America and Europe. <clears throat> yep, that's a sign of the times. Do we... Uh... Yeah, we're going to sign off. Um, we'll see you next week. We're going to leave you with a gorgeous video that was published this week it's a time lapse of the bridge being built from kirch to crimea europe's longest bridge so enjoy and we'll see you next week see you later